0: difficult to keep the line between the past and the present you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living
1: being we may be through with the past but the past is not through with us
2: welcome back to the next picture show a movie the week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release i'm keith phipps here again with genevieve kosky scott
0: tobias
3: And Tasha Robinson.
2: In our last episode, we looked back at Peter Brooks' 1963 adaptation of Lord of the Flies, an almost verite film featuring a largely non-professional cast playing out William Golding's story of boys run amok after making some stabs at forming a government on a desert island. The new documentary Boy State looks at a real-world event with some echoes of that film and the current political climate. Directed by Jesse Moss and Amanda McBlain, it was shot at the 2018 Texas Boy State, an American Legion-sponsored event in which 1,100-plus high school boys gather and form a government. Girl State, its female equivalent, also exists but remains unseen in the film. McBlain and Moss focus on only a handful of those boys— Among them, Robert, a popular charmer, which our friend Allison Wilmore accurately describes as having, quote, a luxuriant mane of a Richard Linklater protagonist. Ben, a staunchly conservative amputee who treasures a Ronald Reagan action figure and takes a hard line on personal responsibility. Stephen, an unabashed progressive whose story includes growing up in a struggling household headed by an undocumented mother. And Renee. A black Chicago transplant whose views put him out of step with the conservative majority, but whose savvy and oratorical skills make him a formidable force. How does it all play out? We'll get into it after the break.
1: A message of unity, as good as it sounds, is not winning anyone any elections
2: primary polls are now open.
1: Get yourselves ready for a turbulent election.
0: <laughs> Whatever happens to you, best of luck. You win, I support you fully. My name is Steven Garza, and I'm running for governor. Let's get the applause because... As to
1: the political views voiced in my speech, sometimes you gotta say what you gotta say in an attempt to win.
2: I think he's a fantastic politician. But I don't think a fantastic politician is a compliment either. All right, so I want to open with a spoiler warning because there's some real suspense in this film. And there are some uh, twists and turns that if you haven't seen it, you might want to watch first. If not, uh, just, you know, plunge right in with the rest of us. To that end, were, was anyone else by the end of this film kind of edging their seat grift as what the outcome of this Essentially meaningless election would be? Yes. And I was so surprised about it. (laughs) Uh.
1: And then were you kind of chagrined that you were surprised? Because I was like, yeah, of course it was going to happen that way. (laughs) Like it really draws you into this. I mean, I guess it depends on your political leanings, whether this scenario is hopeful. But for me, it was certainly a a hopeful scenario. And then it was like, nope, nope. What you thought was going to happen, happened.
2: Well, I think there's hopeful. I think there's still some hopefulness yep. kind of wired into that because this is, you know, it is the outcome that perhaps, assuming you're not a hardline conservative, um, you don't want to see uh, from this event. Uh, but at the same time, there was you get the feeling that this is this is not the end of the story for our sweet, sweet right. progressive candidate Stephen and and uh, <laughs> his tough as his, uh, just... nails Renee. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I think sort of the key to this movie, and uh, Allison Wilmore says as much in her review that like they kind of put their thumb on the scale by having this this quartet of boys of I mean maybe Rob a little less so Rob is sort of a comic relief figure more than anything he actually reminds me a lot of Paul Rudd's character from uh, uh, Parks and Rec (laughs) 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 but yeah Stephen Renee and Ben are just the narrative that forms around them is so key to this film and Keith I don't think you said this but Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss also did the documentary The Overnighters which I know Scott and I are both big big fans of and that's another documentary that had a really really strong sense of narrative But it also just made me think about all the other little stories at Boys State that we're not seeing. Like there's like a quick little exchange where like Stephen needs to get some more signatures and they're like, talk to the media people. And you realize like, oh, there's like a whole media section of this (laughs) Boys State. Like there's a podcast, (laughs) you know, happening. There's a band. Yeah. You know, so there's like... All these other little sort of segments of this population that ostensibly have their own, possibly less compelling storylines going on, but we're really kind of focused on sort of the upper echelons, I guess, of the race for governor through these four characters.
3: There is definitely a sense that this could have been a mini series, that uh, mm-hmm. like these four characters may be playing out one of the most like striking and central stories but uh, not necessarily the most interesting stories and yeah as the movie unfolded i i had the same experience of just going oh my god they've got a media center that's just boys putting out an, a newspaper and reporting oh my god they've got a podcast that's just boys doing recording and, and editing like on and on and on every time there was a new wing it's like there's a talent show
1: like if this was a series there the talent show would be a whole episode at least a whole episode
3: yeah there's just there's a ton of uh oh there. right there's a hundred more stories right there like every two minutes
2: I was unclear on what the time frame for this was. How long were they there?
3: Uh, it's a week. A week. From it's just a week? Yeah. Okay. From, a, okay. from what I've read, it's a week and a thousand boys. So like the band, I have to assume that the Boys State Band is not convened and rehearsed and performing at that uh, that parade over the course of that week. Like, I have to assume that uh, it consists of, of locals that are trained or suborned in some way that, that are part of like... A larger round the year kind of uh, project I, I just i can't see that parade coming together over the course of a week of boys day but i admit i have not looked into the details on that
0: i mean to me i'm was sort of happy to allow certain elements like that to be on the periphery and to feel the punch of the narrative that we were given i mean it's such a tight exciting, you know invigorating piece of documentary filmmaking and storytelling. it's very narratively driven and very slick. I mean I saw it at True False you know right before everything was shut down and uh, it was in the biggest theater and I remember sitting down thinking like this movie fetched more money than any documentary ever at Sundance is the more more money than has ever been spent on a documentary i was thinking like there is no possible way that this thing is going to be worth that kind of money this is crazy it's the market going mad and then i and then you watch the thing it's like okay i kind of i kind of get it <laughs> i mean you know to say the audience and, and tasha i think you saw it at Sundance right i did see I it mean, at to Sundance. say the the, the the level of just like Tension within the audience, and excitement, and just like explosions of applause at certain moments. I mean, just like it was electric to experience this in a theater. If we remember those, and um, and I think that has to do with you know, just the skill of the. Filmmaking and how compelling these characters uh, you know, become to us. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the stakes are just really felt, even though everything is it's a mock everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the stakes feel, the, the stakes are very real to these boys and they're very real to our country and our democracy and the things that we're experiencing now. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very exciting movie i think
3: yeah i mean when i say there are a thousand stories on the cutting room floor i am definitely not faulting this movie like i i must be very clear about this i love this film i absolutely adore it it's you know when you when you're at a film festival and you're probably trying to see 4 or 5 films a day and then write about at least several of them there is a degree to which you sometimes go into a film and like halfway through it you kind of feel a wave of weirdness cuz you're like uh, it's good. And it's got important people in it or involved. And I'm going to have to write about this one, too. And like Boy Stage is the kind of film that you walk out <laughs> of and, and feel reinvigorated. You know, you feel like you just got a, mm-hmm. a triple shot of espresso because you're like, I get to write about this. I get to be one of the first people to tell the world like how exciting this film is. And I'm really excited that it's made it out into the world. And I really wish it wasn't very specifically on a streaming service yeah. that not many people <laughs> are buying was, I gonna say, it. I was going to
1: say, is it going to be that well seen? Do, is, is it only on Apple TV
3: Plus or is it available
2: for, for now, rental elsewhere? For now,
3: at least it's only on Apple TV uh, Plus. Probably,
2: it'll probably stay that way. I don't know if they have a policy of letting things out of the, out yeah. into the wild.
3: I mean, they're they're trying to derive subscriptions. And this certainly is a film that is both affordable compared to uh, like trying to buy an old guard or you know an, an action movie on that level and just has a, like a lot of very dedicated buzz uh, coming out of critics so you know, it, it may just be a goodbye for them, but it is one of those things of well, it probably ten to a hundred times as many people might see it if it was on Netflix.
2: I so. mean, you can, you can just subscribe and you can watch that Jason Momoa show where he's blind or something. <laughs> and, uh, no, you want to watch? You want to watch? Watch Dickinson. 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 And what else? The Ted Lasso show looks pretty good. Maybe I'll watch that. Jason Tudek is saying morning where
1: he's show at. is fine. Is it? Yeah, it's fine <laughs> okay. my mom loves it mm-hmm. your mom will probably love it <laughs> wherever your mom
3: is slightly, yeah, oh, and, and
0: slightly and the, the off the dad... topic
3: of this movie that <laughs> I love can and want to talk other... about it great Like I have been waiting since January to and talk now, to people about this movie and now a word from our sponsor Apple TV Plus <laughs> 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 yeah, the enthusiasm of, uh, I don't know, sign up for it for the seven day trial, watch as much as you can and then cancel it. That might not be exactly what they're looking for in sponsorships. But Tasha, please talk about how much you love Boy State. <laughs> I love this movie so much. Um I mean for me just one of the biggest thrills of this movie and also the biggest horrors is watching these kids kind of lose their innocence in a very Lord of the Flies like way, you know? Some of them really do seem to go into this very idealistic and then you get these reality TV style confessionals where they're telling the camera, you know, I believe this, but That's not going to be a popular opinion. I can't say that. It'll jeopardize my chances. I've got to pretend I believe the opposite. Uh, And you have people talking to the camera just like, lying is probably a bad thing, but I'm starting to think it's the only way to get ahead (laughs) in in politics. (laughs) And the whole movie is just this this rolling process of these 16-year-olds realizing if they go in and and espouse their actual beliefs, they will lose 50% of their audience. But if they go in and say, I like the flag and kicking puppies is wrong and our arbitrarily created group is better than their arbitrarily created group. So let's, let's get out there and get the win. They'll literally get standing ovations and you can just, you can watch. Every aspect of American politics that's problematic or troubling being invented in front of your eyes. It's just I shouldn't I shouldn't sound as like upbeat and enthusiastic as this because it's very depressing. Well, but I think you, also it's you so see
2: entertaining though. But Stephen turns out to be savvier by the mm-hmm. end of it. I mean, he mm-hmm. may be a little disillusioned about how his ideals, uh, how, you know, the practical application of the ideals are, are, are you know, a little clear right about how that could be implemented. But he's also like good at like. Creating a narrative that allows him to focus on what he wants you to focus on, and not necessarily what he doesn't want you to focus on about his candidacy, and and Renee comes into it already ready, already a savvy operator about it, Uh, and has to face such an uphill battle against these not I I don't even say borderline racist attacks, just racist attacks from his opponents, and uh, I find. Ben, as much as I disagree with his politics, I find him a, a fascinating character and kind of a charismatic one, too. I mean, I, you know, he's very intelligent in a way that uh, is compelling, also ruthless in a way that's comparing, uh, compelling as too. They're just some really interesting people captured in, in, in this film.
3: And I also just have like a small soft spot for Rob, mm-hmm. who uh, like again like loses his political innocence live on camera yeah. when he gets up and and does that speech that he he wants everybody to be chanting his name and he thinks if he he feeds them the right flavors of uh, patriotism and lies they'll go for it and he just gets crickets and then Stephen stands up and starts talking and people are screaming and cheering for him and we just cut to Rob kind of going oh. that's what i should have been doing
1: i think like what optimism there is to be found in this movie is probably in moments like that or when the attempt to secede is shut down or when the impeachment uh, attempt of, of renee is is shut down and you do see like it's these boys are not a monolith there are factions as there are in the real world but there are factions that are Pushing back against this sort of tribalist chanting "rah rah" sports, you know, sort of uh, mentality that that Rob kind of comes into Boys State. Uh, really keyed into and realizes not the key that he thinks it is, you, you know, and that it's a, a bum note. I, my my metaphor is shifting with with every word, but because <laughs> um, you know it, it is uncomfortable or was uncomfortable for me, like to see the extent to which there is this sort of chant based tribalist mentality going on here. Federalist, nationalist, you know, and these stump speeches about it's, you know, federalist or nothing or whatever. And that gets more nuanced as the film goes on. And Mm. I find... eh,
3: Except there there are meme montage. uh, Like, we got to talk about the meme montage. For
1: sure. I mean, it becomes more nuanced in both positive and negative ways, you know, and certainly... What happens around Stephen and the March for Our Lives things, which which we should definitely get into. But it was comforting to me to see the you know these boys like being like, guys, come on, we're trying to do something here. You know, stop fooling around, <laughs> stop trying to secede, stop trying to ban Priuses. And you know, um, <laughs> there are these moments of earnestness, I guess that that come through that you know you don't come away from this thinking like the kids are all right but you're like some of the
3: kids they're all right you know i mean whenever <laughs> that whenever they go there i i fought this pairing a little bit because i i don't think that Lord of the Flies, comparing that to this is necessarily respectful of the intellects, uh, the surprising level of, of intellects and mm-hmm. sophistication and idealism and ambition that we see on display here. But th- those, those appeals that are like, come on, guys, like we're here to form a, complicated and nuanced to democratic government not change the way the letter w is pronounced it's, Guys, it's we gotta piggy. keep
1: the, we gotta keep the fire burning so that we can get rescued
2: <laughs> it's, it's it's
3: piggy all the way down though it's it's that same sort of like that earnestness comes absolutely at the expense of having a good time and there is that sort of thread of like you know, we're all here together without adult supervision and we can do what we want. Why aren't we just having fun? And watching those two threads compete is just yet another thing I found fascinating about this movie.
2: Yeah, it's worth noting that part of what drew them to this event was the previous year they had, uh, they actually voted to secede. Uh-huh. Um, the, <laughs> the session attempt was successful. Uh, well, uh, you know, Texas didn't actually secede, but within this world, uh, the vote was cast.
3: And it made nationwide what news. That's the other fascinating thing is like, and I'd never heard of Boys State slash Girl State. And when I first wrote about this movie, I found out a lot of other people also hadn't, but it did actually make national news because it's a great human interest story. The year Texas Boys State seceded. And also, when I wrote about it, I, I just got a whole bunch of like emails and, and reach outs and Twitter responses and movie comments to the effect of I was in boy state. And I just I was asking everybody, tell me about your experience. How did this play out? Because I was, I was so fascinated with it.
2: Now, do we know anyone who's been to Boys State or Girl State?
3: <laughs> I mean, I do. I didn't realize that I did. And uh, I think somebody else on this podcast does.
1: <laughs> yes, um, my, my fiancé, uh, Steve, uh, attended Boys State Illinois in high school. So he was eager to watch this with me, although he is quick to point out that he was definitely the kids in the back, just sort of goofing off and <laughs> not really, really participating in the civics part of it very much at all. It was uh, something he was committing compelled to do by his parents. So, um, you know, not not the most enthusiastic participant, but and I think probably the Illinois boys state is significantly different from the Texas boys state. I mean, I think probably all of these have their own sort of specific flavor, but mm-hmm. I, I would imagine just by virtue of being in Texas that this boy state is maybe a little more outsized and uh, dealing with certain issues more than other boys and girls states across the country are.
2: Are you saying it's politics done Texas style, Genevieve?
3: <laughs> I guess I am. Yep. <laughs> I also just wonder if the barriers to entry are, are very different, partially because of the size of the state, there's going to be more competition, uh, partially because Texas is uh, such a big political hotbed. You know, we actually see within this movie, people interviewing with I believe it's the American Legion that puts on the boy state mm-hmm. girl state experience. And you see uh, these like, like old, very, very beardy, very giant belt buckled hat wearing American Legion types who are interviewing the boys uh, as as like an, a first access step and there's a very Southern masculinity kind of attitude among the boys that's very like, sir, I would, I would very much like to participate in this that I can't help, but wonder like how you go through that process and then get there and just want to like, put your feet up on a desk and sleep. Yeah,
0: Steve, who, who knows? I mean, <laughs> I mean, though, I would say, I, w- I would say that one of the things that's interesting to me about it, I mean, maybe in, in, with American Legion, I think you would probably enforce this as well Is that there's an understanding among all four of our main, characters here that this group is going to have a conservative bent and for someone like ben that's a very comfortable place to be uh, for someone like robert it becomes comfortable because he doesn't have any <laughs> he just wants to kind of be liked uh, and find his way through and it doesn't matter whether he believes what what he believes doesn't really matter what's so interesting about the film is how steven and renee are able to negotiate those waters and it, it does involve you know obscuring their points of view and triangulating relentlessly and trying to figure out ways to make appeals to the best parts of their peers and stuff is a much different appeal that they have to make in that environment than someone like ben and the, and the guy that runs for governor on that side which is all just sort of red meat conservative stuff second amendment and pro-life and all of these things that they feel quite rightly, uh, will you know win them popularity uh, in the end from this particular group. So that's an interesting aspect of the film. The other aspect of the film that just struck me on second viewing was just like how the effect of of a government that is run entirely by boys or, or men, if we can extrapolate from you know what, what they'll, they'll become men at some point, what kind of decisions they're able to make about the world we live in and about, certainly about women. <laughs> when there's no women in the, in the room, w- what kind of decisions are you capable of making? And, and that kind of, you know, when something like abortion rights kind of comes up in uh, conversation, like, that is so colored by the fact that this is a room entirely of uh, boys.
3: Yeah, there's a pretty fiery anti-abortion rights speech that it's it's just very noticeable that it's coming from a boy and aimed at a room full of boys who all seem pretty on board for it. And, uh, you know, one, one wonders if they've ever actually talked to a girl or a woman about any of this. You know, they're... Or anything. Or anything. Well, their, uh, their beliefs are definitely – there's a big difference between professing a pro-life attitude out of a feeling that it'll get you ahead in this uh, tiny little political environment, you know, professing it for a week or just the length of a speech. Versus what we see in the audience, which is just like a full-on like animal response, like a, a full-on "yes, you speak for us" kind of response that doesn't feel nearly as as calculated or put on. Like they're the person who's making that speech is is playing to the audience. But in addition to what uh, Scott found so fascinating about it, uh, one of the things I find fascinating about it all is one of the reasons the stakes feel so high is not just because this is like a a tiny representation of our nation, but the stakes really mean something to the kids that we're focusing on. You know, Renee wants to go on to, to manage campaigns and like already has political experience. Stephen wants to go to political office and has already been canvassing neighborhoods and getting out the vote. You know, there's there's a world of difference between uh, a Rob who just seems to kind of want to be popular. Ben is also part of that group. You know, there's, there's just a world of difference between uh, the, the kids that are there to goof off and the tryhards who are going to put this on their resume and actively want that resume entry to be, uh, successfully coached, uh, dark horse political candidate to victory, uh, at this event versus participated in this event. You know, they're, they're literally 16 year old, years old and fighting for like what they see as, long and uh, well-established political careers to come, like right here and right now.
1: I think maybe at this point, it's important to note something that the film notes as well. It's that these boys are not playing at governing. They are playing at getting elected. They are playing at campaigning and getting elected. Like They're flat Mm -hmm. out told at the beginning, the main idea here is to run a campaign and to get elected. So it's very... I feel centered on the game of politics, not uh, the actual reality of, of it and how it would affect real people. So these conversations about abortion rights or, uh, you know, Ben brings up sort of policing. At one point, he quotes a, a Code Pink article uh, in, in one of his speeches, which I found pretty funny. But it's all of these like sort of discussions of quote unquote policy are happening through the lens of what will get me elected. Even like Stephen and Renee, who, you know, have sort of more progressive ideas behind them, they're constantly doing that sort of mental calculus Of how do I get elected while not completely betraying this part of myself, but also sort of a a recognition that ultimately it doesn't matter if I do because this is just it's a game in the end. It's who it's who wins. Boy's state. These like policies they're talking about have no real effects even within boy's state, much less the real world. So I think sort of the depersonalization that politics often invites when it comes to policy is just like amplified
3: times a thousand here. I'm to break Scott's heart. <laughs> it's just sports. <laughs> no it's, uh, we're we're basically watching a sporting event it doesn't yeah. have any uh real world impact it it doesn't matter i mean they uh, play it,
1: sports like like oh, there's 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 God. several like sequences of Ooh. there's there's like daily sports time apparently you know because boys need that
3: i guess but yeah I mean,
1: are
0: sports just sports <laughs>
3: <laughs> well i'm gonna say that sports are just sports though <laughs> I, i'm not sure i'm not sure why that's even a, a controversial well maybe i should say that sports are far more than sports maybe that'll get me elected here <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> definitely well, would win my vote.
3: I think we should I'll also just give a shout out to like the fleetness of this thing you know it's very dense mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of ground covered over the course of the boys state event over the course of these different stages of, of politicoing the uh, the ups and the downs and, and the reversals and it's so easy to parse it's so easy to, to see your way through to understand what's going on and with who at any given time time i think in addition to being just a fascinating story this is just a really well made film
2: i agree and i think we'll uh we'll talk about it a much differently made film lord of the flies but i think there's plenty to talk about when we bring them back together with connections after this break
0: i believe our society is stronger when everybody is disciplined yet dangerous our masculinity Shall not be infringed. If you want the big guns, vote for the Barrett. Thank you. He's good, he's good.
2: I'm going to use this devotion
3: to see change for this year's nationalists and to pressure the Federalists into a state of absolute submission. Yeah! Yes! Do you want a chairman who will act? For each and every one of your personal desires, then vote for Wyatt Schaefer. Do you want a chairman for the people? Then vote for
1: Wyatt
2: Schaefer! Yes! Yes! Now it's time for connections when we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. I want to uh, direct everyone's attention to the uh, Twitter feed of one, Stephen Garza. Uh, who uh, links to a um, sort of an explainer about Boy State on the A24 website. But his pinned tweet currently is a screenshot of uh, – this is the answer. The answer uh, supplied is, Within 48 hours, the assembled youths have splintered into competing factions, raided each other's supplies, and perpetrated violent attacks. (laughs) The question is, how long does it take before everything devolves into Lord of the Flies? So I feel (laughs) like – (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, that's a, that's a good way again to talk about this. Let's talk, I guess, maybe start with the tribalism of it, which is the most obvious connection. Uh, we have in Lord of the Flies, we have sort of uh, tribes that kind of evolve out of the situation. With Boy State, we have sort of enforced tribalism. There there are two Political parties, the nationalist and the federalist parties. Beyond that, I don't think there's any definition given to them, and the boys kind of provide it for themselves. So, does the fact that there's sort of a structure in place for this sort of uh, tribalism differ from the, the uh, sort of, I, I want to say, more naturally occurring tribalism of uh, Lord of the Flies? I mean,
3: I don't think it does. I, I think we get there faster. You know, I think the organizers behind Boys State recognize that. A, they need structure, but uh B, they've got a limited amount of time for this to happen. So instead of like waiting for all of the factions to form, they start off with uh Alright, the left half of the room is this and the right half of the room is this. <laughs> now I'm thinking about the pacing problems in Lord of the Flies. Like if the last adult on the <laughs> plane had just said, Alright, you guys are all hunters and you guys are all gatherers, uh the whole <laughs> the whole story could have just gone along so much faster and smoother. But I think there is just a very much a similarity in that But as soon as the group fault lines become evident, both groups have to try to appeal to members of the other groups by kind of portraying themselves as the cool and fun place to be like our, our group is more appealing. Our group is better. We're heading right back into the sports thing, but our arbitrarily designated collection of half of the people in this room is superior to yours for reasons we're going to figure out as best we can over time. And if all else fails, we're we're at least louder than you. You know, Jack's big responsibility becomes, how do I keep them entertained and occupied and focused on on me and on the things that I like doing enough to make them think that like my group is cooler than everybody else's group and when he shows up in and everybody's in their little uh, costumes and everybody's so well organized and, and singing their little song like he's already got that down this is how this group functions this is all of the things that define it and then he walks into an environment where those things aren't cool anymore those things don't make them stand out in an appealing way and they're not things that he can confer to anybody else They don't have any more cool hats or uniforms to hand out to people. So they've got to find other ways to distinguish themselves and other ways to make their group fun.
0: The other thing, too, and I mean, you know, the way things in Boy State divide up into nationalists and federalists and how people rally around those tribes, no matter what kind of vague policies they end up kind of coming together behind before any of that happens, I think there is in both Lord of the Flies and Boy State a very basic raw appeal to masculinity and to the power that comes from that of getting people riled up, Mm -hmm. you know, and and feeling like they're cool, obviously feeling like they've got power. You know, you can see that dynamic being extraordinarily effective in both cases in terms of rallying people who, who are Persuadable. I mean, know I mean, that's the thing. When you when you're dealing with large groups of people, there may be just a, a handful of those people. Your Jacks and your Ralphs or your Stevens and your Bens who who have that instinct to lead. And it's just about taking finding some way to um, rally the persuadable people to your cause. And, and the first thing that you do, I think, when you're a boy uh, in the, the circumstance is to try to you know appeal to the you know, masculinity.
1: Perhaps this is the time to note the George Washington quote that opens *Boy's State about political parties. Um, I think it's a slightly truncated version of the full quote, which I just pulled up and we'll we'll read now. Uh, However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Um, And I I feel like that quote, in in, in, in addition to being a a very good sort of uh, organizing principle of boy's state, is coming out of a recognition of this sort of natural human inclination for tribalism and the way that power can take seat in it, and when that power is wielded by, say, the jacks of, of of the world, it is only going to enable them further.
3: You know, I'm 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 in Hamilton right now. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm picturing the the Washington in Hamilton saying all that, and I'm also I actually just did thinking...
1: briefly have the think like have the thought: should we have like paired this with Hamilton somehow? Mm. But that wouldn't have worked
3: for a variety of reasons. But. <laughs> Yeah, the musical numbers in this are really lacking. <laughs> yeah, I, I like some some small part of me like as the founding fathers are constantly being waved around to justify uh, mm-hmm. whatever hypocrisy or chicanery uh, politicians are up to right now. I find myself thinking like, if we could just send somebody back in time and like run down what modern politics looks like, could we get new rules baked into the original constitution uh, at its inception that ruled some of this out? And that quote makes me think, no, They were aware of human nature. There was, they were aware of the nature of politics back then. They were aware of the degree to which people would try to subvert the system and they, they did the best they could with it with, with what they had. And if they like knew about modern technology, they probably wouldn't have done it any different because, uh, there, there is sort of a, a series of rules about human nature that maybe don't vary as much over the, the course of history as we think they do. I'm sorry I keep bringing my cynicism and like laying it down like a blanket on top of uh, this conversation. But these are, I think, two very cynical movies about human nature. Yeah. And I, I think
1: like that quote is where Boys State Central Cynicism comes from. You know, I talked before about, you know, seeing some you know, glimmers of optimism here. But ultimately, this is a story about how when you divide people into teams, they will naturally go to war against each other, whatever that means, you know, and then in Lord of the Flies, you kind of it kind of stems from like team fire versus team hunting and and everything kind of spirals out
2: from there. I think you can also take our the politics I think we all uh, share uh, in rooting for the more progressive candidate here out of the equation entirely and how it's, it's kind of dispiriting to watch politics in its rawest form where it mm-hmm. is uh, us versus you and we'll do whatever we need to uh, say and whatever tricks we need to pull to make sure that we come out on top.
3: And at some point, just that unholy glee that hits Ben of there's there's a way that we can work this. There's a weakness that our opponents have that has nothing to do with their platform that has nothing to do with their politics. But there's some place we can hit them in a really ugly personal way that people will absolutely respond to. And then they absolutely do that you know it mm. you've, you've got to think that jack has some of a some of a similar feeling when they kill that first pig and on some level he's thinking everybody's going to think i'm so cool you know everybody's going to think i'm so you know what the so problem edgy.
0: is i'm thinking tosh the, the problem is is, that, is their embrace of extra textuals in this in this <laughs> uh, environment <laughs> They take something that is that is outside of the context of Boy State, which is uh, Stephen's real world involvement in March for Our Lives and you know canvassing for for Bernie. And they bring it in in a destructive way. So if they had no interest in the things that happen outside of uh, you know uh, the the uh, lines, then uh, they would have been just fine. Uh, I wasn't. I actually wasn't
3: fine. referencing that. Though that is a that is a good point about the movie and a bad point about extratextualism. Uh,
0: <laughs> I was thinking more about the
3: racist. <laughs> (laughs) Attack on on renee and kind of the the attempt to other him and to reposition his behavior uh just essentially based around like how can we make this seem like it's not a race issue while dog whistling the fact that it is a race issue
0: yeah no that 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 stuff is truly horrible i mean uh, you and, know and what, very what familiar difference...
3: i mean if you if you look at yeah the, the 0.06 seconds it took for people to start up birtherism uh, 2.0 on kamala harris like i'm glad it's in the documentary you know i'm i'm glad that they captured that uh i'm sorry renee but i'm i'm glad that it happened because it's so illustrative and it's so significant and it's so interesting to watch how it plays out and how renee responds behind the scenes with this very personal hurt and frustration and at the same time this very political okay well uh, here's the next strategy like here's how we have to handle this mm-hmm. uh, to take the high road
0: and he, well and also it's not just taking the high road it's being extraordinarily Savvy and and sharp and kind of suppressing that whole movement. I mean, he he survives that coup attempt or that attempt to have him removed from power. One of the things that, that, that I wanted to point out between in terms of differences between Boy State and Lord of the Flies with regards to self governance is that there's really nothing imposed upon them. I mean, they have they are placed in this situation, and they have to kind of govern their way. Around it, but but in Boy State, you do have a little bit more structure and some expectations that do force them to have to uh, make decisions. I mean, they have a week to get things done. They have they have certain boxes they need to tick in terms of you know having these these elections and, and forming these policy platforms. I mean, there's a structure already in place here that's different than Lord of the Flies where there's no structure and and, and where there's no civilization that they they do have a little bit imposed on them and that does make i think a difference in terms of, um, you know, the decisions they end up having, they end up making. It's it's much different than, than you know, you, if you plop these thousand boys on an island, God forbid, it's a different situation than, than what you would get, you know, in this um, kind of more structured world of boy state.
1: Not to undermine the connection too much here, but like what's happening in Lord of the Flies isn't really politics you know I mean there's a little bit of speechifying there is a a vote but in terms of like you say there being any sort of structure that is sort of guiding this toward an expected endpoint or result uh, it, it doesn't exist it's about survival and I think it's a lot easier to sort of forego the boundaries of, of, of civilization when you're just trying to survive, you know, and I think that's why I think the whole maintaining the fire storyline in Lord of the Flies is really key to the development of that narrative, you know, because the the abandoning of the idea that they will be rescued is sort of an abandonment of this connection to civilized society and a acknowledgement that they will, you know, go quote unquote savage, you know. And there's nothing like that in, in Boy State. It's a very sort of confined guardrails type of situation from, from beginning to end. And there's all sorts of chaos within that, but it's a different sort of chaos, I guess, than the than the one in Lord of the Flies.
3: I kind of disagree with you. And the reason kind of comes down to another thing we've got on our connections list here, which is the place of the adults in the room. I mean, obviously yes, boy state, nobody is standing to get stabbed to death with spears uh, or starve to death or get a giant rock on them, dropped on them in boy state. Like it's, it's not a case of, of physical survival, but I, I do think that both of these situations are very political. I mean, I think in, Boys state they've got the responsibility to the adults in the room who set this up. Like, they know they're being monitored, they know they're being judged. They are, as we said previously, some of them are doing this to impress adults down the line uh, with a list of their achievements as they're looking for jobs, as they're looking for internships and, and placements. Like, an awful lot of this, there are no stakes in the election except. The long-term implications of like what they can say on their resumes they managed to accomplish or what connections they can make at Boy State that will help them politically down the road. But at the same time, I mean, in Lord of the Flies, I see politics just in the, in a, a very similar way. You know, they sort of briefly ape democracy and then they invent fascism, you know, and, and populism and, and an oligarchy. It's not politics in the sense of, continuing to further a democracy. Uh, but it is politics, as we've seen it play out through humanity over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And again, like the, the reason that it goes further is because the adults in the room aren't there, you know, the d- adults in the room have been uh, forgotten or discounted by some of the, the people. I don't know that I 100% believe letting the fire go out uh, is abandoning a belief in rescue. I think to some degree, it's abandoning a belief in responsibility. You know nobody necessarily wants the boring job of uh, attending the fire all the time of of staying in one place and and focusing on this thing when they could be running around uh, the island swimming or uh, chasing pigs or uh, painting themselves and dancing, you know whatever has been presented as cool. I don't know that they've given up on rescue. They just have kind of given themselves over to having fun. And Boy State, in the same kind of way, you know, the people that are proposing silly things or sleeping in the back of the room have given themselves over to having fun. Like they've they stopped thinking about the adults in the room. They've stopped thinking about impressing people over the future. And they're just thinking about their own needs. Like I, I think they're very similar. Uh, it, it's mostly just a, a, the way things play out we don't see so much of the boy state kids going back to the familiar state of living in an adult world, like a, a very little of it. Yes, but it doesn't have the shock that it does uh, in Lord of the Flies that in that moment of like, we've, we've gone entirely into our own desire and our own civilization, such as it is that we've created. That's a civilization of savagery. And then we have to look up and see an adult and think for the first time of how this all looks to somebody else.
1: It's interesting that both of these films start in a sort of classroom setting, Uh, Lord of the Flies, albeit, you know, in sort of still photograph form. But, you know, we we get imagery of of schoolboys in in school and Boys State opens with this sort of... uh, Lecture about 1984. And this is, this is another thing that the film, you know, isn't really clear on. But in terms of the adults in the room, like there are, there are adults around throughout Boys State. And there seems to be an implication in that opening scene that there are, you know, seminars maybe happening or there's maybe a little more adult guidance than, than we are, uh, seeing. But both films do sort of open in this instructional setting of, of adults. Teaching boys what they should be doing, you know, in the context of civilization or or what have you, and then we never really talked about the the very end of *Lord of the Flies* when when they are rescued and the sailor in his snazzy shorts, you know, uh, lo- looks upon them <laughs> in, in horror. But then, what do we all make of the of the little boy uh, who can't form words? Like, what what is he? What is happening with him? I mean, I think
3: he's just staring at Gavin McCloud's white socks and uh, (laughs) thinking, uh, "What? what, How nice it was to have socks back in the day."
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, or just he forgets who he is. I mean, right? I mean, like he doesn't know his own, you know, whatever sense of himself he might have had, and civilization is completely obliterated at this point. Right,
2: and just so alienated from any sign of civilization that he can't really recognize what he's looking at anymore. I don't know that I took
3: it that way, but I do think it's a very. Open, like map yourself on this, like choose your own symbolism here. I mean, to me, he was uh, like there there are no apologies for what they've done. Yeah, it was and pure shame what was what
1: I was was reading in, in mm. and and that little boy's face, you know, like
3: shame and and maybe the instinct to explain or excuse, mm-hmm. you know, that that feeling of being caught hitting your sibling and uh like the the first thing you reach for is uh they started it or uh they did this or I wasn't doing what you think I was doing. You know, there's there's an excuse that you reach for. And he doesn't. He can't come up with one. You know, he can't come up with an an explanation for why this all makes sense. But on some level, you could you could discard all that and say he's basically looking at an alien at this point. Mm. You know, he we don't really have a sense for how long they've been there. But he's looking at something that hasn't existed in his world for however long, and it's possible he just doesn't know how to process it.
0: Well, I should say that the staging of that is so stunning yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, yeah. we talked about this we talked about the last we talked about the last third of the film being strong but god almighty what a what a powerful ending the way the way you have so you know, sort of ralph sort of crawling on, on all fours and that's how you kind of get that's how this fancy footwear kind of comes into frame and it just the shock of it is so profound and uh really it's hard i mean in terms of like these kids who uh who couldn't have never expected who i guess have gotten to a point where they could have never expected anything like this to happen they've been disconnected totally from civilization and now it's now it all comes back in a very terrifying and emotional moment it's just it's the staging of it is fantastic it's
2: just as shocking to us watching as it is to the boys in a way because we haven't seen yeah. anything like this either
3: yeah. And and we've been inured. I mean that whole process that we talked about in part one of this conversation of their clothes disintegrating and then becoming dirtier and dirtier over time and them embracing face paint more and more their hair getting wilder and wilder like we experience that one small stage at a time and then we're thrown like violently and abruptly back to the very beginning and like what what civilized attire looks like which is just pure white At this point, you Mm -hmm. can't imagine white cloth in this setting. And then you get that slow pan of taking it in. You don't cut to the appalled face of the adult reacting to all of this. You're slowly drawn up his clothing to just take in how crisp and clean and, and civilized everything is.
2: So, *Lord of the Flies* is explicitly about the collapse of civilization. *Boy State* is set against a political backdrop in which norms have, put it politely, broken down over the last few years. Do we see that sort of the, the potential collapse reflected in *Boy State* as well? We, we certainly get politics, if not detached from uh, from ideals, uh, at least sort of uh, a situation where ideals take a backseat, and we get a an election that's determined. I was a little hazy on the details here, but that's determined at least partly by one side using some vague uh, element of parliamentary procedure to tilt the election in their favor, at least part of the election in their favor. Uh, So I don't know. Is is boy State ultimately as pessimistic as Lord of the Flies about the future of civilization?
1: I'm just memeing you. (laughs) <laughs> that early line from Stephen uh, really uh, sticks out at me in the context mm-hmm. of this question where he's he's kind of saying to another uh, statesman, I guess they're called, it should be people's state. And and like the guy like can't even process that. He's like, well, there's a girl's state. And, and Stephen's like, like no, there, there should be a people state, and the guys like can't even process it, and and then and then <laughs> Steve seems like, I'm just memeing you, you know, like 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 that shorthand for this isn't real, you know, that this is just this is a joke, and as the film progresses, there are several glimpses of sort of the, the memeing of politics, you know, particularly as it applies to the forces working against Renee and Stephen. And I'm not going to go so far as to say, you know, memes are the collapse of civilization, but I think they are sort of an indicator of an increasing detachment from humanity, again, in, in politics and the desire to best someone you know intellectually comedically politically you know being the the goal as it applies to our our modern politics is very dangerous and disheartening
0: i mean the memes are almost like feel like the sort of the termites in the Mm -hmm. foundation kind of it's just like like it's just these are things that you don't that you can't say in in person that you wouldn't say in person that that a deliberative body would not include. But having these things in the culture, having this warfare happening underneath the surface on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you want to have it, is just corrosive and it has an impact it's just very shadowy under the surface it's like you know it almost makes you nostalgic for more old school rovian (laughs) dirty politics you know because this this is there's something just something more insidious about this kind of internet aided form of political warfare that just all takes place under the surface
3: I mean, you could say that about the anti rene memes, but like the little montage at the end of the animated memes that are just like taking the Grandpa Simpson walks into the bar, puts his hat down, <laughs> takes his hat up, walks back out of the bar, uh-huh. uh, like turning that into a nationalist versus federalist meme. I find it funny, like not the meme itself, because it's not even executed in a particularly clever way, but like as emblematic of a completely different type of politics than what we've been seeing. I think it's just a really interesting touch, like that little montage of like, here's something that these boys are doing that doesn't amount to anything more than schoolyard taunts uh, back and forth over the table at each other. Our group's better than your group. I mean, one of the one of the other threads that we kind of meant to, to pick at here is the maturity versus immaturity question. And I feel like the boys in both of these films are at exactly that age where you're not quite too old to play if you can find an environment where you're sure that you won't be judged for playing, but you're also not too young to operate at a, a pretty sophisticated intellectual level, if you feel like you're in an environment where nobody will mock you for that. And we see people going back and forth across this line constantly in in both films, kind of trying to navigate what level of maturity they're going to operate at. And in Boy State, like that meme montage for me is just a kind of a moment of, yeah they they may be very making very sophisticated political plans based on the futures they want but on some level they're also just like blowing raspberries at each other you know they're also just like blowing off steam they're they're being boys
1: I'm very cognizant of the fact that I think everyone in this Zoom call has used that Grandpa Simpson (laughs) (laughs) at some point in in the recent past. So, you know, I I don't want to go too far down the road of associating, you know, meme usage. I'm more of a
0: PTA is is disbanded meme guy. (laughs) But
3: i mean don't get me wrong i like i i love the uh i love the gif response on twitter the uh okay what's the what's the perfect gif for that and we're done it saves a lot of time and like as these kids are making these federalist versus nationalist memes they're saving a lot of time and effort uh but it's a very immature response you know it's Mm -hmm. an immature place to go to Maybe not as immature as uh, running around a jungle naked, waving a stick, uh, screaming, kill the pig. But, uh, you know, in, in some ways, uh, just as much a simplification and like a dropping out of the, the complexity of society, because the complexity of society can be exhausting.
1: What's interesting about the running around with a stick shouting, kill the pig is a, is a sign of immaturity. It's also like something that stems from a sort of a perception of, of manhood or adulthood or, or, or maturity, you know, like a uh, the duty to provide, you know, to provide food and that being sort of a, you know, a, a cornerstone of manhood, adulthood, whatever. But because it's being enacted by these boys Takes on a veneer of play. I don't really want to call it that in the context of, you know, bloodlust, but, but, you know, there is a sort of performative masculinity adulthood uh, happening there that is coming through in which their immaturity comes through.
3: I mean, dominance is very much a, a theme among, like, pretty much any aspect of male society, I mean, including sports, including politics, including hunting, you know, including the culture that we're seeing a lot of in uh, Boy's State itself. And to some degree, that uh, desire to exhibit dominance by destroying something is uh, just like a very a fundamentally human thing that they're reaching towards in Lord of the Flies. I kind of put the, uh, the targeting of Renee in the same kind of place. You know, here's somebody who we've found a weakness in. Somebody that we can, we can maybe drag down for our own benefit. Like, I see a lot more of the hunting of the pig in trying to destroy Renee, uh, for political gain than I do in the bullying of Piggy, which for Jack at least just seems to be so much less calculated. Uh, and just so much so much more based in uh, just like a baseline contempt. I don't feel like he maybe maybe when he goes and steals the glasses, because that is an overtly political act. You know, it's absolutely about uh, seizing a resource that your uh, rival has that makes them stronger than you in some way. But the way he speaks to Piggy. I think just comes from a much more like gut line place. Like he's not thinking about how he can benefit and, and show his uh, dominance or establish his leadership with the group. He just fundamentally hates him.
2: Well, there's a lot, you know, obviously a lot to talk about there. We were looking forward to seeing, receiving your feedback uh, about this pairing. We certainly are looking forward to more people being able to see Boy State, which I think I think we all – came away loving. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want to see, well, if you want to see a Lord of the Flies, you can rent it or purchase it via the usual digital outlets, but you can also stream on the the Criterion channel, HBO Max and Canopy, and it's uh, available on DVD and Blu-ray from Criterion. Uh, And anyone who wanted to go deeper, the Criterion site or the uh, physical copy is uh, the way to go. There's lots of uh, fun, uh, interesting extras. Boy State, as we mentioned before, is available only on Apple TV plus, but you know, Uh, it might be worth the investment just to see Boy State. Uh, We'll be right back with your Next Picture Show. Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We call it Your Next Picture Show in hopes it will put some interesting choices on your radar. Tasha, what in the film world has been good for you lately?
3: Well, recently I reviewed uh, Masaki Yusa's movie Ride Your Wave, uh, which finally, just about a year after I originally saw it at Fantastic Fest last year, um, has hit the states. It's a pretty wild anime film about a uh, 20-something couple that gets together and uh, has a blissfully happy relationship and then something weird happens. And I don't want to say any more than that because it's, it's so out there. But because uh, I watched that film, I started looking more into his works. And I found this movie called Lou Over the Wall. It was put out by G-Kids, which is basically just a, a symbol of strong approval for international animation in general. And it's currently available on Netflix. It's kind of the director's ponyo. It's another movie about a young mermaid who falls for a, a slightly blandish young boy who lives in a town by the sea, and she riles up the ocean as she comes after him, just kind of obsessed with being with him, and then her like weird, alienish uh sea dwelling father gets involved in the whole thing. Except it's so over the top and so strange and, and so lovely in a way. It ends up being a very, very different animal from Ponyo. When it started out, I, I really did kind of feel like, is this just one, like, well-established, uh, anime director aping a, a different one? But it's a movie. I, his, his animation style is just very unique in, in anime. The, the lines are very, very light. The faces are very, very simple. And the models are very liquid and fluid. People have a tendency to kind of melt off into weird shapes as a way of expressing their emotion. And in the way that the sea goes wild midway through Ponyo, the whole world of Lou Over the Wall kind of has that same uh, bizarre liquidity to it uh, by way of expressing uh, emotion, by way of expressing social pressures. It's also just a movie with a lot going on in terms of like thematic content. It's fundamentally about a young boy who is not connected with his town and with his family. It's about the other men in his family and the dreams that they've had and given up over time. It's about what it's like to grow up in a small town and then want to leave that and make it big someplace else. And what happens to the people who don't? And it's just one of those movies where every time you kind of feel like you grasp like, okay, it's this kind of fable. It goes off in a wild new direction. I'm a little obsessed with just how strange and, and different this film is. Have any of you seen either this or Ride Your Wave or, or really any of his films? No.
2: No.
0: I don't think so. <laughs> well, I, I was... This, this is, we got this is, nothing. This is, whole, this is fully, fully at your wheelhouse, Tasha, this, uh, this stuff.
3: Well, I mean, if you're a fan of uh, international animation, and you're looking for something very different, I would strongly recommend uh, booting up Netflix and taking a look at, at Lou Over the Wall. It's probably uh, kid friendly. I mean, it's it's sort of pitched in that same place. Like if your kid isn't scared of the like, wild stuff that goes on in Panyo, I don't think they're going to be scared of the wild stuff that goes on here. Some of the hometown elements to it and the the themes of of longing and uh, ambition and uh, sort of delayed maturity may not play with them as much as Ponyo does, but it's a really fascinating uh, companion piece to Ponyo. So uh, lure over the wall on Netflix, uh, but far more briefly, uh, because I think it'll lead into some interesting places. When uh, I first saw Boy State, I immediately looked into what the directors had done previously. And unlike some people here, I have not seen The Overnighters, uh, but I did see a previous film of Jesse Moss's called Full Battle Rattle which uh, at the time when in 2008, when it came out, uh, it may have gone direct to DVD. It certainly didn't play much. Uh, it was a, a documentary that seemed to just kind of like skip straight to only available via disc. And it was one of those things that I was, I was just like, I, why isn't there a, a better venue for people who hear about this movie to just immediately get their hands on it? Well, lo and behold, it's the digital age and you can find it for uh rental via Canopy or Apple TV. This is a movie about the U.S. Army training people via LARP. There is, (laughs) there are entire towns that they just, they build, uh, in order to train people for, like, desert communication, um, with, with desert cultures. And they bring in locals, uh, to act, to, to play out the roles of, uh, small town village dwellers. And they, take people through these role playing experiences of, uh, okay, this person is very upset. You don't speak the language. Like, what are you gonna do? How are you going to uh, deal with this? There's an insurgent attack. How are you going to handle the locals during it? How are you going to uh, deal with people's wounds? How are you going to play things out? Um, And based on the decisions they make, they have to come back into the scenario the next day with uh, the storyline altered. So it's it's a multi day LARP in its way, not unlike. Boy's <laughs> I was going to say it sounds a lot like Boy's State,
1: but less uh, overtly violent.
3: <laughs> and uh, you know, mm. Boy State definitely dealing less with with very very much life or death situations, or at least training people for life or death situations. Mm-hmm. I found Full Battle Rattle just fascinating in terms of um, a military program designed to to provoke empathy, uh, to make uh, American soldiers see the immediate uh, and also long-term consequences of othering uh, the people that they're encountering in countries where they don't understand the culture or speak the language. It's it's fascinating, but it's also very much about the uh, the politics of the program and the the design of the whole thing. So like, if you have any interest in, honestly, anything from uh, like American military stories to game design, uh, to role playing full battle rattle is it's just a really fascinating movie. And it's by Jesse Moss, who I believe some of you know, as uh, the director of The Overnighters.
0: That's the film that Genevieve and I have. You seen it, Keith? I uh, haven't. I, n- I, I, I
2: know you recommended it to me years ago, and I, I'd love to see it, so but I, I haven't gotten to it. It's about fracking. Well, the the
0: overnight <laughs> is It's yeah, exactly. It's a, but it's it's a, it takes place in this North Dakota fracking town, and it's almost like this kind of oil rush thing mm-hmm. where it's just well, I guess it's literally like an oil rush thing, but like where you have all of these workers coming to get high salaries, very very good pay to do this work but there's no housing <laughs> at all and so and so the pastor of this church takes in uh, you know many of them and um, it, you know to to a great deal of conflict and controversy and it's just it's, it's uh, you know it's so fascinating this whole you know, defiant ex- experiment, you know, and yeah, what, what do you think of it, Genevieve?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen it since since it came out, but, I, you know, I remember having a, a really strong positive reaction to it and just kind of listening to Tasha describe that and our conversation about, about Boys State. It does seem like maybe this is a director that is drawn to sort of somewhat isolated, somewhat artificial uh societies uh, that's not quite what's happening overnighters but you know it's a little you know micro society that th- yeah, that's happening yeah. there so it, th- there's maybe sort of a, a thread connecting his, his films there it's
3: coming out definitely yeah. scott what's been good for you lately
0: uh, well I you know since we were doing boy State I wanted to recommend I think one of the great most knowing films about American political culture and that's uh, the candidate uh, the Michael Ritchie film with uh, Robert Redford and uh, the candidate is about Robert Redford plays the you know the sort of idealistic son of a former California governor who's chosen by the Democratic establishment to run against a popular Republican governor. The catch for him is that because this governor is so popular, none of the other more established, uh, you know, potential candidates want to in, in the party want to run for governor and be embarrassed by this incumbent. They just, they don't want to do it. And so so the trade off is like that's given to Redford's character is like we'll let you just run the campaign as you would as you would say whatever you want promote the ideals that you want to promote etc and as he goes about doing that the polls start to tighten and as we see as we of course we witnessed in boy state then the triangulation begins and then he starts to think about and then a lot of the consultants come and then he starts to try to figure out what he needs to do to actually win once it becomes Plausible, and um, the film was written by Jeremy Larner, who wore many hats, but one one of those hats was that he was a uh, chief speechwriter for Eugene McCarthy in his nineteen sixty eight campaign. and And what's so unique about the candidate is that it is a political satire kind of but it's so dry and so grounded in the way politics actually works i mean it's idea of a of a joke is that redford's father won't even acknowledge that his son is running a campaign until the polls tighten and then he kind of comes in and, and you know becomes an enthusiastic booster i mean that is such a that is kind of like the film's idea of a, of a political joke, and it's um it's so astute, and it has the best ending of its kind that I can think of outside of like The Graduate. It has this wonderful "What do we do now?" type of moment. I, I, I love it, and I, I think it's I think it's you know a film that's just eternally relevant. Uh, you can watch it on HBO Max if you have it. It's currently on HBO Max, but you can you know pick it up. It's obviously on any. Uh, any of the uh, streaming services, it's a, it's a well-regarded movie for good reason.
2: Y'all have seen it, yeah? Right? yeah it's great. You know, yeah, movie? Richie was really had like a real role there. Incredible, role. Uh, um, yeah. And like, I, th- I think the idea yeah. was, um, you know, the, 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 the explicitly stated his theme of a lot of his movies was what it takes to make it in America, and and, uh, um, <laughs> and the answers were not very comforting, yeah. like in Downhill Racer or The Candidate or the one he did after, which is Smile, which I, which I, which I love Smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well. Um, um, I
0: career I mean he had he had some he had some good ones
2: yeah yeah. I'd, I'd never loved Fletch and some bad ones I never loved Fletch and like I like I love Michael Ritchie yeah. I love Andrew Bergman and 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 I don't know something about that. what
0: about Cops and Robertson
2: I never got to that, that one his, I never the got
0: Golden Child Did you like the Golden Child no it's not
2: good it's not good yeah no but
0: he but but the but you think in the 70s that he was just like you know king shit I mean because everything he did was great yeah um yeah and he also did Digstown which is awesome anyway um. So, this, is
2: a, this is a podcast dedicated to the films of Michael Ritchie
0: He ended his career with the Fantastics uh, So Keith, what about you? I've
2: also got a film with a, a devastating ending uh, As a way to talk about a, a larger thing that just came out uh, which is uh, the Agnes Varda box set that Criterion just put out, which is a, a predictably a, a thing of beauty, a huge book, um, smartly organized, and it's basically and and it's everything she made, every film, uh, in in a long, uh, winding and uh, unpredictable and, and, and wonderful career. Uh, the great uh, director Agnes Varda. Uh, I'll single out one film because I, I cannot claim to speak <laughs> to have watched every film in this set, uh, although as much as I'd like to but the one i was watched most recently is uh uh, les bonniers uh which i hope it pronounced more or less correctly which means it's french for happiness and it is a uh short devastating depiction of of a a marriage and i actually don't even really want to say any more than that uh, uh, um too much more Uh, 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 let's let's put it this way it begins and ends with a picture with a depiction of a happy family and i think i'll just leave it there um it is a uh, um very high recommendation and it is uh from 1965 and uh yeah, like I said, I'll just leave it there. But but if you have uh, the if you have the uh, impulse and the money, the to shout out for the box set, I'd recommend it. I believe almost everything in the box set is streaming on the Criterion Channel, which is a, uh, probably a more affordable option. Uh, it's hard to talk about like a good point of entry for her because her career is so varied. But this is as good a, a good a point of entry as as any. It's a terrific film. Uh, Genevieve, how about you?
1: Uh, I wanted to recommend a new comedy called I Used to Go Here, which was written and directed by the Chicago-based filmmaker Chris Ray, who might be more recognizable by her former married name, Chris Swanberg. Prior to this, she made a handful of micro-indies under that name, as well as appearing in several films made by her ex, Joe Swanberg. Uh, So even though I Used to Go Here is definitely a small indie, relatively speaking, it's her first feature that includes some more widely recognizable names and faces. Of particular interest to this podcast may be a small role by Yorma Takone, uh, whose Lonely Island Classics is <laughs> one of the film's credited production companies. But it's Gillian Jacobs, best known as Britta on Community, who is the film's star and emotional center. The film's premise reminded me a little bit of another film I know we all admire, Young Adult, uh, but with a slightly less acerbic central presence in Jacobs, who plays Kate Conklin, a Chicago-based writer promoting her debut novel, which has received less than rapturous word of mouth. Uh, So when she's invited to speak at her alma mater, Southern Illinois University, by a former professor played by Jemaine Clement, she's eager to return to the familiar and comforting surroundings of the college town of Carbondale, Illinois. Uh, That also happens to be where Chris Ray attended college, a fact that is not at all surprising after seeing this film's strong sense of place. Over the course of a few few days spent there, Kate falls in with a group of students living in the house she lived in some 20 years prior and regresses back into her college lifestyle, Uh, at first happily and then less so. Kate is one of those characters that is very clearly going through something and would likely be a much sadder and less engaging character were it not for Jacobs, who is a highly underrated actress. Uh, I've previously recommended on the show a couple other films in which she has given performances that kind of outpace the films they're in, uh, Don't Think Twice and "Abiza." So I guess my affection for her is pretty well established on this podcast at this point. And she definitely is the primary draw here as well, though the cast of college is age kids is quite strong as well, Uh, as is the humor. There are several belly laugh moments in this film, which I admit I wasn't quite expecting based on the general tone it strikes. Um, It was uh, supposed to premiere at this year's South by Southwest, which obviously didn't happen due to COVID, Uh, but it definitely has the feel of a South by premiere, uh, something I consider a compliment. But it was scooped up for a VOD release this month, so it is currently rentable wherever you choose to rent these days. Uh, I used to go here. I would recommend it.
2: Uh, I don't mean to brag, but I, I actually talked to her without knowing who it was. Because she used to have another business selling ice cream, yeah, uh, yeah, at various various farmers markets, and I remember like only later realizing that was, uh, you know, I was familiar really with some of her work. Uh, yeah. you're talking about not. Chris
1: Ray, not not <laughs> Gillian Jacobs, but yeah, yeah,
2: Chris, Chris Ray. Uh, yeah, there, there, there
1: was a, there was a bit of a, a local to do with that that whole ice cream thing. Yeah, she had to shut down because
2: yeah. of, of the of the health department, not because she violated anything, but because some sort of regulatory thing, yeah. or, and she needed to buy. It. I don't know. I I don't know all the details, but yeah. um, I remember sampling the ice cream. It was good, but well, no more. she's ma-
1: she's making films instead, so that's she's, that's cool. She's, she's hand
2: churning <laughs> batches of, of <laughs> films. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that.
0: Dairy uh, uh, good, dairy good. Films. Yes.
2: <laughs> all right, all right. And that's it for this edition of the Next Picture Show. Our next pairing will come out September first and September eighth. Tasha. What's coming up?
3: Actually, Keith, through the magic of asynchronous audio recording, I'm coming to you from the future with a correction. While we'd originally planned the next episodes for those weeks, we realized that gives our listeners very little time to actually see one of the films from our next pairing between its release and the recording actually landing in their ears. So we're going to punt these a week, give everyone an extra seven days of downtime, and return to your podcatchers on September 9 and 16. Coming to you from the future to correct you in the past actually seems like a pretty appropriate move right now, given the nature of one of the films in our next pairing. Charlie Kaufman's new Netflix movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, is based on Ian Reed's 2016 novel about a woman who's considering breaking up with her boyfriend, even as she's traveling with him to a remote farm to meet his parents. The trailer is a trippy marvel all on its own, with time and space shifting around the characters in an increasingly surreal way. This seems like a great excuse to look over Kaufman's surreal, ambitious filmmaking in general, so we decided to check out his new film while also looking back at his screenwriting debut, the groundbreaking, bizarre Spike Jonze movie being John Malkovich. We'll consider Kaufman's career, along with his big ideas and big themes, on our next pairing, but with I'm Thinking of Ending Things not arriving on Netflix until September 4th, we're giving you an extra week to check it out. See you
2: future people two weeks from now. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of Lord of the Flies, *Boy State*, and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about. We want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. We may post your response on Facebook for discussion or read it on a future episode of the show. Finally, before closing out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days? Genevieve?
1: Uh, I am the deputy TV editor at Vulture.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky.
0: Scott? You can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias. You can find my work at The New York Times and uh, The Guardian and The Ringer and other uh, such fine publications. Tasha, how about you?
3: I am the film and TV editor at Polygon.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. Keith?
2: Uh, I'm a freelance writer. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KFIP3000. You can find my work at places like Vulture, The Ringer, uh, Rolling Stone, TV Guide, and you know, other publications too. As for the podcast, you can stay updated on The Next Picture Show by visiting nextpictureshow.net, via Twitter at at nextpicturepod, and via Facebook at facebook.com slash nextpictureshow. You can also contribute to our Patreon and get bonus content at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And if you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts already, please consider it. Apple Podcast subscriptions are an important part of getting podcasts more prominence and more listeners. And while you're there, we appreciate every rating and review. Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keep the show going. Thanks to Dan the Snake, Jakes, for his assistance producing the podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Spotting Family podcast. Please tune in next time. Vote
3: for me, I you.